District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm really thrilled to be joined by Kang Yang of Minnesota Hunter. We connected at the recent Poma Business Conference in Franklin, Tennessee. He was one of the Toyota scholarship recipients. He has a really fascinating life story and we became instant friends over our shared kind of family backgrounds because his family fled communism too. So it's a bonus and I love that whenever I meet people. But he has a really unique hunting story the culture that he comes from really prizes itself in hunting the Hmong culture. And he's a new hunter too, has a really unique perspective, lives in the Great Lakes region. And I think you guys are all going to really appreciate his perspective, where he comes from and his zest for hunting. You're going to learn about his bird dog. We're going to talk about some interesting wildlife rescue stories that he had <laughs> recently. And you guys are just going to get to know him. And I think you're going to like what he has to say. So Kang, thank you so much for coming on District of Conservation. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Gabriella. Um, that was such a great, that was such a warm welcome for me. Any <laughs> Introduction. No, I meant it seriously. Like yeah. you are so fascinating thank and you. you really are such a lovely addition to Poma. I will say this as a board member and everyone, I heard, heard so much wonderful feedback from different board members and everyone. They're like, this guy is phenomenal. He's going to be great in our organization. So you have a great potential. And a lot of us are really excited to see what you do on the communications front. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Like, <laughs> I had a great time there. I mean, everybody was so nice. So I'm glad to hear that, you know. Um, what was, was your favorite part about Poma? What did you like most? Um, just the networking, I think, like meeting all these different people from all around the states and like all their involvement in media and the outdoors, you know, like um, it's just like I wish more people knew about it. You know, <laughs> it's like, why is why is there not a, a thousand people here? You know, like they're missing out, you know, so um, we'll gradually yeah. get there. I think I have yeah. no doubt we will mm -hmm. baby steps. But it's yeah, it's a great organization. And I've had a lot of really wonderful things that have resulted from it. Obviously I'm on the board it just even in my short time being involved and you really are able to move up in the organization. If you put yourself out there, there are mm -hmm. lots of opportunities to get jobs and leads. You can network with some of the outdoor industries, big wigs in print, digital media, TV, your heart's desire. And we are just expanding. And I think people are excited and I love that we're going to be working with different other outdoor media associations too. So I think the unity front we're pushing is really awesome. So I think people are really excited yeah. about Poma and we're bringing in fresh perspectives like yourself and many others. Some of mm -hmm. your other scholarship winners have some really unique backgrounds and people who are just young and vivacious and yeah. really excited about the outdoors. So it's, it's a great time to be an outdoor media, I think. Yes, I think so too. I definitely agree. It's like, um, you know, I don't know. It's just like, it feels like the right time <laughs> you could say. There is never a right time, but I think in light of the last year, I think a lot of people are just wanting to return back to nature, to the mm -hmm. basics. And those of us who've been doing these activities for much of our life, fishing has largely been a big part of my life. I've been hunting for about four or five years now, and I love it. And I do other oh, forms yeah. of outdoor activities. And it's just, a it was a, a moment to pause, despite all the inconveniences that did come with it, unfortunately. But it was kind of a return to this solace that a lot of us needed mm -hmm. to kind of like, Hey, scale back a little bit, enjoy the great outdoors, enjoy time with family, make new memories, pick up a new hunting or fishing style or go hiking or traverse a new place or something of that nature. And 
that's, I think, one inherent benefit to kind of a cruddy year that a lot of us had, uh, personally speaking, or or with our businesses and things of that sort. So that is going to be reflective, I think, with numbers. But it's, you know, it, it's an exciting time, I would say, yeah. despite all the different circumstances to be <laughs> in the outdoor industry and even just to participate, even from just a granular basic level, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Talk about your family history, the Hmong people. Yeah. Your family came from Laos? Yes, that is correct. So, so explain <clears throat> explain that and what is so unique about the culture? Because I think what people fail to maybe understand or realize is that hunting wasn't just exclusive to the United States. A lot of countries right. worldwide have a hunting culture, a vibrant hunting culture. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to remind everyone that that exists. And when our family members come here, they can bring those hunting traditions here. So talk about your story. What is unique about the Hmong culture and how it is vested in hunting? Yeah, it's, you know, it's like you said, you know, a lot of, we have to remember that a lot of people around the world hunt and they don't hunt just for leisure, but they hunt for food, right? Every day to live. Um, and so the Hmong, the Hmong community, um, so I'm Hmong, um, we are a hill tribe in Laos. And so we have been um, in the United States for a little over 50 years, I think. Uh, we came here during the Vietnam War after um, the Americans pulled out um, during the war. We we were um, brought over here from the U.S. or to the U.S. and we this is California and Minnesota is where most of the Hmong resided, and so when they came here, a lot of their traditions that they brought still came back with them, including um, you know hunting. So um, hunting and even gardening. Like if there's space in the yard to a garden, they'll garden. If there's a tree in the yard, they'll cut it down so they have space for gardening. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of that is still brought was brought over with them. So. That's really cool. And what hunting traditions did you learn from your family? I know when we first met and spoke, you told me you were kind of having this antipathy towards hunting. You weren't really fond of it and you kind of came around to it, but did your dad have these hunting traditions? Did your mom have these gardening traditions Mm -hmm. in her repertoire too, or did they rediscover it here in the United States? Did they bring those customs with them to the United States? Yeah, so my dad did, but my mom didn't. Um, so I was born in California. Um, and so growing up, I was always more into like not hunting, right? Like, I loved the outdoors, don't get me wrong. When I was young, I, I was always outdoors, passionate about bird watching, fishing, but never hunting. Um, the, the idea of killing something wasn't on my agenda, you know what I mean? And so um, that in itself, um, kind of blocked me from my culture until I did start hunting. And when I did start hunting, I found out that it's connected me more back to my culture. Um, and so the traditions that, you know, my dad still um, practices, like uh, with the hunting, like when they come home, you know, cleaning, how they kill it, how they clean it, how they share the food with family and friends, um, just all that um, is a big, was a big like eye opener for me. Um, and it, you know, it didn't involve just killing an animal, but everything after that, before and after that, um, made a big impact in my life. So everyone forgets that it's a full spectrum process. It's not just taking a gripping grin, getting the kill shot. Hey, it's wonderful to advertise that. Like I love posting gripping grins. I'm going to try to do more cooking Mm -hmm. and processing pictures and, and, uh, doing the nitty gritty without it being too gross. Of course, I don't want to spook people or scare people, but showing them the process, 
but that sometimes does get lost. Although I'm not anti-group and grin. I think you can take a stand and be like, you know, everything in moderation, but generally speaking, the reason why hunting got such a bad portrayal, because people would take upon, let's say bad examples, or they would generalize certain examples and say, Hey, everyone does this in hunting and they don't know hunters. So they just stereotype and they pick and prodder and bully people. And until they get to know hunters, they never see that full spectrum side. And it's like, even if I explain like, Hey, I've harvested and processed my meat. Like it's not just a grip and grin. They're like, well, you killed it because you used an AR 15 or you use this air platform. I'm like, but Hey, I, I didn't let the meat go to waste. Like, sure. Mm -hmm. I, I was proud of my harvest and my kill, but like, I didn't just kill it. I processed it. I, gutted it. I did everything I could with it. And I cook with it now. I still have a lot of my venison from Wyoming (laughs) actually still remaining. And so that that's why I think your project, Minnesota Hunter is so important. Like there's a lot of different groups out there. There's like field to fork. There's a lot of different, uh, Mm -hmm. becoming like an outdoors woman program, like all the state agencies and private organizations and nonprofits have been exploring and launching different projects and you obviously mm-hmm. have your own outfit with minnesota hunter so yes because of your kind of interest again or your interest in hunting discovering your mong roots with respect to hunting that's what led you largely to do minnesota hunter and what does minnesota hunter aim to do is it just you do you have other people involved um so it is just me um i started <clears throat> so the aim to minnesota hunter was it or is to um basically um help mentor new hunters um getting people out in the field right and also sharing my side of the story and being vulnerable on my side of the story showing that you know we're not hunters aren't just these big macho crazy or you know like (laughs) hunters out there right (laughs) like you know we we do make mistakes and you know like um i think i want to show that side of the hunting world or community to them um but yeah it's like i started minnesota hunter because when i when i started um waterfowl hunting uh, my dad doesn't waterfowl hunt so I didn't really have a mentor to teach me and it's very difficult in the beginning to start um like figuring out where to scout how to scout um, where to set up how to set up all that stuff you know that you know there's internet and you can look it up but it doesn't um help as much as having someone there you know telling you walking through the process and so I learned it all by myself um you know I I think I've become a great a successful duck and goose hunter uh but i started minnesota hunter so that i can translate that and be that mentor for someone in the digital space so that um you know i do like mentoring one-on-one but i figured like i can only take so many people every year i was like i should put the you know my my training online so that people more people can access it right because if i could i'd like duplicate a whole bunch of me but <laughs> I can't do that so you know I'd rather let people read it um and again you know just showing them that you know we don't just kill but we kill to eat and making the food and tying back um you know my culture to the food as well so that's what Minnesota Hunter is is to really get people out there and show them you know the the greater side of hunting right not what they just see in the like the bad side of the media from it or even just the visualizations they see that doesn't really dig into the surface. But you also right. showcase your dog. 
Yes. A beautiful mm-hmm. German wired-haired pointer. Yep. And <laughs> how is that bond between you and your bird dog? I, I don't personally have bird dogs yet. Mm-hmm. I would love to one day when I can afford the time and the training and the resources. Mm-hmm. But I have just seen the bond between bird dog and owner with different friends in my time in the field, even mm-hmm. though it has been shorter than some of our friends and others that we know. But it's it's such a special bond. So talk about oh, the yes. bond you have with your bird dog, Kaya, right? Yep, Kaya. <clears throat> um, so she's a yeah, she's a four-year-old German short, uh, German wire hair pointer. Um, yeah, the, my bond with her is so great. Um, the reason I started hunting was because of her. Um, you know, I've always loved animals, and so when I got her, I was like, well, what can I do to make sure that she lives her life to the fullest, right? What can I do, you know, to make sure that um, she's happy every day, she's getting her uh, mental stimulation, exercise, all of that. And of course she's a honey dog. So I'm like, okay, well, that's where I got to go. I got to go start hunting. And so, you know, if I didn't get her, I would have never started hunting. Um, and so me and her being new hunters <laughs> into the space, our first time, right? Like that bond between me and her is so great. Um, mistakes that I make, I could tell she's mad at me, mistakes that she makes, you know, I'm kind of annoyed at her, right? And so we've learned so much and trusted each other so much that when we go in the field, I just let her out and I know um, that she's gonna do her job um, and do her job to the fullest. Um, and, you know, now that I, um, look back at it I wish I would have like spent even more time like in training or you know just um working more with her you know like I guess you can never have enough time with your dog is what I'm trying to say <laughs> that's very funny yeah yeah it's been a while since I mean I only had a dog for a week but I made the mistake of begging my parents to take in this dog which was really unruly and mm-hmm. I totally support adoption if you you know, feel compelled to do it. But I think for a dog as specialized as a bird dog, you need to raise them from young, yes, from the young, young. Like so it's, it's like for, I like breeds. I like the working sporting breeds a bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't want a dog that just sits there and like does little things. Um, so my brief dalliance with dog ownership wasn't the best. And we returned the dog back to the <laughs> owner because it was very spoiled and not trained. It was biting everyone. Mm-hmm defecating on the floor it was a horrible experience so I was like I just need to like have a dog <laughs> from like puppy dumb and yeah. then you know raise it from there especially something as specialized as a I, I would love to get like a German short-haired pointer one day or, or something mm-hmm. like that of that caliber because they're beautiful they're high energy they are yeah. also fun-loving companions they're not just working dogs they're also parts of your family and it's just so interesting just to see the camaraderie and the relationship between human and dog. And oh, yeah. there's a whole so niche great. with sporting dogs. Like they're magazines dedicated to things. Yeah. I and mean, Garden and Gun essentially is one of those too. <laughs> and even within like uh, Tom Keery, who is one of the board members and someone who mentored me in Poma, he specializes mm-hmm. a lot in sporting dogs. He's someone you should get to know, by the way, too. I think you guys would uh, learn okay. from each other a lot. He, he's very fascinating. He's in Massachusetts, but he's like one of the best in bird dog communications. Uh, line of work but um yeah it's just like I I know the special relationship my first hunting success was using bird dogs I was able to get pheasants Mm -hmm. chucker and quail using what was I think it was like a it looked like a German wired her pointer but it was an Italian breed I the name escapes me it was such (laughs) a good dog and really retrieved it flushed the birds really well I was able to take a comfortable shot 
And that was a really great experience. It was super easy to, I don't know if it's super easy, but it was less stressful than I think some other hunting experiences are. (laughs) So like my favorite, I will always remember my successful first hunt where I actually did successfully harvest was involving bird dogs. And so I have nothing but love for hunting with dogs, especially in the right context. And I think that's a great way for anyone to start hunting, do upland bird Waterfowl is a little tricky if you're just getting started. And I think we were talking about this waterfowl. Sometimes the dog is not the problem. It's just sometimes you're dealing with people who don't want to share public space, or they're going to torture your blind from what friends have told me, or you have weather patterns and make it impossible for you to go duck hunting. <laughs> That's what I had learned in my first experience. We had to go yeah. across the border to North Carolina instead of Virginia when the bomb cyclone came, but definitely upland bird, I think is a great entry. I think so too. Yeah. Like it's so much easier with the dog. Um, or like, you know, like your dog motivates you to go out there and you motivate your dog to go out there, you know? And it's like, if, even if you don't have somebody to go hunt with, you have your dog to hunt with. And so you never feel lonely in the field or you never feel like they're judging you for your mistakes, you know, because they can't talk of course, but you know, yeah. So I agree. Like upland hunting, upland hunting is like, I think the greatest stepping stone into the hunting world because it's Amen. so much it actually is not really that big of barriers to entry. Like for me, I was, I was working with a client and they're like, Hey, as kind of part of our payment structure, in addition to paying you a little stipend, like we'll include a hunt, a guided hunt as part of your work duties. I was like, heck yeah, sign me up. And it was wonderful. It was a private uh, club called the Rappahannock bird dog club. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not too far away from me, maybe an hour, 45 minutes or so nice little private club. And the guides are phenomenal. And it's not really like corporate per, per se, but it, it's a nice little format. The members are really nice. And so, yeah, you get to see kind of just that dynamic, um, yeah. how professional they are. And, um, here in Virginia, unfortunately, we don't have a natural landscape. We have to re we have to create it. Uh, we have to plant different crops, obviously to imitate what a ideal upland bird situation is. Uh, we have to recreate things that so you guys, luckily on the great in the great lakes region you get to have that environment oh, naturally there so like we <laughs> we have pen raised birds and there's nothing wrong with hunting pen raised birds in yeah. virginia like i think it's fine as long as the birds are not being abused and i don't think they really are but no. you know in virginia you kind of have to make do with that because we haven't had i was reading some stuff like upland birds are a little hard to conserve here they've really suffered yeah. the woodcock hasn't really been rehabilitated we have other species here. So we may have some shortcomings in one area. So we bring in pen raised birds and then other areas we're far exceeding expectations. We have a very vibrant bear hunting culture, bear mm-hmm. hunting population. Yep. Like we have 20,000, I think bears harvested each year. It's crazy. How That's many crazy, yeah. are taken? So like we have deer, plentiful deer, but we could, we could certainly improve with our native upland bird population, but you know, mm-hmm. pen raised, I think it's okay. Especially yeah. if you're starting out, like you know, you have to artificially create conditions, but not yeah. every place is going to have the same game available right. to target. Yeah. My first time out um, to prep was on a game farm, right? On game farm birds, just because, you know, you have to kind of um, help ease yourself into it. I mean, I tell you right now, like hunting a wild bird versus a pen raised bird is completely different. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're both still fun and both still a bird, right? Still a meal on the table. So. Yeah. It's like the private and public conversation, which we don't have to go into, but I think, (laughs) I really do think like if you're presented an opportunity to hunt and it does happen to be a game preserve and let's say someone has given you a discount or you get comp to Mm. go for free, definitely say yes to it. Like, (laughs) and, and the wild birds to pursue, 
perfectly great too. And if you can find them and identify them, equally wonderful too. It's an educational experience in the always in the, in the at the bare minimum. But it, it, you know, in certain parts of the country, it's really hard. Like I said, woodcock yeah. you can't really find. Um, grouse is a little hard to spot over here. Although way, way, way up north in like Maine and New England, I've heard you can find those two species in more uh, copious quantities. I would mm-hmm. say than down here in the southeast or in the mid Atlantic where I'm at. And so it just, like I said, it just depends on your region. And I think people have to be a little more patient and have a little grace and be like, you know, you can, you can bolster it. And what if the birds you don't shoot, they go out to nature, they breed or they, I don't know what they can do, but (laughs) maybe they'll, they'll pair with another individual in the same species and help rehabilitate the population. If there are other ones that are floating in the wildlife, cause you're not going to hit every Penrays bird. I've seen Mm -hmm. Penrays birds dart off and fly away and never to come back. So sometimes maybe by accident, they can go into the (laughs) wild kind of act feral and maybe help boost the population. If, if different States are not already having reintroduction programs to help bring them back, but yeah, no, all of the above, but yeah, Upland is a great, great starter trip for people yeah. who are interested it's it's not impossible to do you're going to have people help you along the way the guides are phenomenal really easy to work with and yeah. you'll come away with it with memories whether you harvest something or not you're going to learn the workings of a bird dog you're going to make new friends and you'll have some good food in the process too because people always bring delicious food to the oh, different yes. hunts <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely i agree what are some recipes from the Hmong culture that you've been able to incorporate from your harvests and your catches? Um, so I am just starting to write out content for the recipes, but you know, uh, what we usually cook with, um, our food is like stews is the main thing. Um, so either it's stewed or it's put over a fire <clears throat> and grilled. And so <clears throat> these stews usually involve, you know, uh, ginger, lemongrass, pepper, and, cilantro and green onion those are like your main <laughs> like vegetables in there uh but you know like yeah the monk community they like a, they like a lot of their food in either stews or grilled over the fire um from what i've from what i see what they, my dad has done with the wild game um i'm actually coming out with a spring roll recipe here in a couple Yeah. oh are you gonna so, make a video of it uh, too air, <laughs> yep i am <laughs> oh my gosh i'm gonna have to share that oh my gosh yeah. especially after this recording goes live that is awesome i mean who doesn't love spring rolls yeah right and <laughs> they're easy to make um easy to access like the ingredients are easy to access now i feel like anybody can go out there and buy the ingredients for it uh, what are you I'm gonna doing, use mm-hmm. What are you I'm using use? a pheasant breast and I'm going to do an air fryer. So, yeah, that sounds really, delicious. Really You're making good. me hungry. <laughs> Just hearing about that. Yeah. So, yeah, spring so I'm excited. Rolls, what else? Like, um, what other dishes? Like, oh gosh, like this, um, this Korean, may be conflict. Yeah, Korean dishes, like, Chinese dishes, kind of Laos, Laos culture. Uh, Laos yeah, dishes, a, cuisine? a lot of our dishes are blended with uh, Laos and Thai cuisine. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. We'll do like, you know, like a pad thai? thai. Yep. <laughs> pad Thai, fried rice, or we'll do um, curries, you know, like a red curry. Um, what else? Like uh, we'll do pho noodle soup. Love pho. Pho is yeah, amazing. Pho is amazing. Yeah. Or we'll do kapong, which is like um, a curry soup, basically. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm putting it all together now and trying to come up with recipes every other week or something. That's <laughs> amazing. I can write it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have to go at whatever pace you do, but that's awesome because 
certainly there are wild game chefs and I wouldn't yes. call it, they're not, they're not culturally appropriating because they're being respectful of the recipes, oh, but yeah, I think people want to see, I've never seen where they, they do disrespectful means to a culture. No, no, they're all very respectful, but oh, I think people want to yeah, hear, they want to hear, I think people want to see from hunters like yourself, like, Hey, your family recipes, like, Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So it's not just like something a wild game chef invented or some other chef invented. Like these do come down from years upon years, the recipes through different storytelling and, and they live on through yeah. people like you and, and that these recipes are tried and true and they're very easy to make. Yeah, I agree. And even in my community itself, um, not a lot of people are <clears throat> engaging in the wild game as well. Right. And are so, they? no, yeah, well, there's like this, um, group on Facebook called Monk Kitchen and I don't see a lot of wild game recipes on there. They post a lot of like um, Hmong cuisine recipes or Asian recipes, but not a, not a lot of wild games. So that's why I kind of want to start putting out the recipes as well is because just showing my community again that, you know, the recipes are still there and that, you know, we do still eat it. <laughs> wild game, right? <laughs> yeah, you can, they can learn from you and you can learn from them. Right. <laughs> I mean, because you have obviously probably a more American flair than some of the older members yeah. of the Hmong community. So you mm-hmm. can take what you've learned living and growing up in the United States and then incorporate obviously recipes and customs handed down from your family and others you meet who are older into your cooking, I guess, activities. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited for it. It's going to be awesome. Well, yeah, you do have to make a video series, put it on YouTube. Like that stuff will be absorbed really easily. Yeah. And I see that you are populating your YouTube channel, which is awesome with the different Shorts, but you <laughs> oh yeah i was happy to like inspire you to do that but you're you'll take off really well and i'm going to send you a few um plugins that are free to use so you can track your growth do seo i was telling some other poma members okay. i was like you guys need to try this like do it's called vidiq and like TubeBuddy. these are legal youtube endorses them too and they're really going to help you have your channel take off so i'll send those to you awesome. after we record too but no you, you should post it like in a long form video yes like mm-hmm. And I have no doubt, like people eat up recipes like crazy. So you just have to yeah. make it fun and, and be authentic and yep. just present the recipe and then just, and, you know, put it out there and you never know who's going to pick it up. Yeah, no, I'm excited for it. It's going to be another like little venture, I could say. <laughs> and then also on your website on the Minnesota Hunter, you also feature a hunting calendar. So let's say newbies peruse through your website. Yeah. They want to learn and, and they're starting to get interested. They may have acquired their license they started to do a little bit of training so you provide a hunting calendar so people know when their activities hunt seasons begin openers things of that sort so why do you think it's essential to have that um i think it's essential just because there's so much going on through the seasons there's so many things you can hunt even during the season right and so um is that i i found out that you know whenever every year when i hunt i always have to read the the DNR book again because it's always changing. Yep. Every um, state has this. Virginia <laughs> changes their stuff too. Right. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna put it in the calendar so that people could just click on it and it'll just upload it through their phone calendar. Right. And so they'll get a notification of when the season starts. And um it's just basically to help make it easier for people, especially waterfall hunting. The seasons can get kind of confusing because we have um splits in the state. So we, you know, our, our state is split up by zones like North, Central, South, and uh, dates run different for each um, zone. And so 
that's that's why I put the calendar out there. And also just to showcase um, other events that are not at hunting, right? Um, like banquets. Um, I'm going to put some banquet events up. So for Delta Waterfowl, uh, we have a West Metro chapter banquet coming up and going to put that up on there. And stuff that I wanted to go to when I first started hunting, um, like game fairs on there, you know, like things that people wouldn't maybe notice if they didn't hunt, right? And so maybe if they do want to try hunting, they'll go to these events first and see if they like it. And then it will help push them more to try hunting, you know? So it's just putting, you know, what I wanted to do and what I liked to do in the beginning or still do, but you know, that I find would be helpful for new hunters. That's good. Yeah. The banquets will be super helpful listing the seasons. Maybe you should put up like, Hey, know the rules and regulations, or maybe like a guide for like, Hey, you need these licenses for this season for hunting with this type of gun or this apparatus. So maybe incorporating that could be good too, but I don't see why you wouldn't do that. I I have no doubt you're (laughs) planning to do that, but like that could be also helpful to know like the regulations, um, how to hunt, like what, what you need in your license, things of that sort, what licenses you need are required. So that could be certainly helpful. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, that's coming out like, like you said, it's a guide, um, or I call it hunting one-on-one. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. Like my Minnesota hunter is to teach new hunters how to hunt pretty much, um, like at a cheaply cost, right? You don't need these hundred dollar vests. You need a $20 vest from your local sporting goods store, right? Yes. Um, you do not have to go crazy and buy $500 right. jackets. No, you don't need it. Yeah. You don't need a thousand dollar gun. You just get a used $400 gun. Right. Like, yeah. So the guide is coming out. Um, like I just launched the website. So, um, oh, still no worries. Content on there, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Go at your own pace. Like seriously, yeah. <laughs> don't feel like you have to have everything out there. Like people are very patient and will wait. Okay. And the fact that you have this available says enough already so you're good yeah. don't don't stress okay. about it no you're yeah. you're good. <clears throat> so the guide's coming out and then i'm also going to do a field blog so nice. that way people can yeah people can stay up to date on where i'm hunting and also i want to um send out notifications to people to let them know of you know when's when's the time to hunt or what's it looking like for you know the pheasant population what's it looking like for the duck population just small stuff that I think would be helpful to new hunters, you know? Very good. That's awesome. And let's talk about something a little lighthearted. So I think people misunderstand how hunters behave and operate. They think we're all bloodthirsty killers. (laughs) We have no regard for the animals. Obviously you love your bird dog. I love and revere animals, even the ones I want to eat at some point in time. (laughs) But (laughs) I think people forget that we obviously are hidden conservationist we have it in our blood for sure and i loved this moment you shared on social media was adorable who doesn't love ducklings and other baby (laughs) animals but you had posted i was like this would be like a great like instagram reels it could go viral but i don't know if you were comfortable sharing it wider like you did a little bit in the stories but Mm -hmm. you spotted this adorable abandoned duckling what happened from there? Brief, yeah. my, brief my listeners as to what you did <laughs> to help rescue yes. it. Is it still around? What, what's going on with that? Yeah, so I was um, outside. Oh, no, I wasn't outside. I was inside, and the dogs kept going crazy. I'm like, what are these dogs going crazy for? So I go out there, let them out, and I hear, like, this peeping sound from, like, two yards away, um, two houses down or whatever. And I'm like, okay, that's a duckling. And, you know, there's obviously no water around where I live. Um, the closest water is, like, two miles away. 
And so obviously he, it must've been lost or got separated from his mom. And, you know, um, ducklings outside of water at that age is just hatched, right? Because so, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, it's probably like it's for his mom. So I'm like, let me see if I could call it over. So I run inside and grab my duck call and I start doing like small duck clucks, you know, like a hen would do with oh, <laughs> Imitating <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it took like, it felt, yeah, it felt like forever, but it was like probably 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And here comes this little duckling um, coming towards my, you know, my little soft plucks. And she, he or she, um, I call him Toby. <laughs> so, <laughs> I gave him the name Toby, but he comes running across the yard and I scoop him up with the net. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was, you know, I was right. Like this duckling would have died or you know this definitely didn't have a mom it was you know crying ha- had that oh yeah distressed call right and so I'm glad I got it and so I was like first thing I was like all right I need to get it to water and to a hen that has um ducklings around the same age and so I drive over to the closest pond and you know there's these ducks there and so um I find a, a hen of course with some ducklings and they're a little bigger than what I liked um, but I let him go and he, uh, eventually finds her and she does not like him. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Jackson. She had, <laughs> yeah, they're her duckling. She had six of them and he was too small where she could pick him out, you know? Aww. Yeah. So she was Heart like, wrenching. oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> I know. And it was like evening now it was about to be dark. And I'm like, all right, well, mother nature has to take its course. I did half of the work of getting him to water you know, everything else has to be on him. So I leave and I come back the next day and here he is with a different hen, actually. So a different Aww. hen, yeah, a different hen adopted him and she stuck close to him. She protected him. And um, I was like, okay, story, like happy ending, right? Um, but I did go back like a week or two after I let him out and um, I couldn't find him more. So Either he got swallowed by a fish or <gasps> got taken up, you know, just mother nature doing his course. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's hard when you have one duckling, you're easy to spot, right? <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> you're easy to pick out from predators. So, but you know, I was pretty happy that I got him to, got it, gave him a second chance. Right. And so second chance that didn't really pan out well, but Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you tried and you did the good Samaritan thing of yeah. trying to at least find it a new mother. Right. And I think I saw this when I was in Florida. I came across a duck with like 18 ducklings. I don't know if they were all hers, but I was so impressed. But I was like, wow, eight ducklings? Like maybe some of these were adopted. They're pretty resilient. And I hope mm-hmm. the duckling you named Toby is okay and live and well. And see, I think this is what people can get to learn from us. Like those of us who even yeah. like to consume animals. I mean, even if you're a meat eater in general and you don't hunt, but you enjoy eating beef, like people care, like ranchers care about the beef that they raise, the cattle that right. they raise. Uh, same with other livestock herders, things of that sort. People who tend to the land, they love their land. They love the animals that frequent it, but they also mm-hmm. believe sometimes in managing it. If you're dealing with grizzly bears or wolves or things of that sort. And like, I love seeing nature in my backyard. Like I've seen raccoons right. recently, deer, like so many different wildlife, like American eagles. I've seen American bald eagles, not American eagles, American bald eagles. 
I've seen ospreys everywhere. Like it's, it's hard to escape wildlife, even in as big of a developed area as I live in, even in the suburbs outside Washington, DC, it, it, we appreciate the surroundings. We don't want to see animals harmed, especially right. out of season. Like we care for the future of species. That's why groups like all these different conservation groups, like Delta waterfowl, ducks unlimited, Rocky mountain elk foundation, they exist for the very reason of trying to continue the cycle of having these wildlife available, where largely the majority of the population is going to not be targeted, but a, a right. sizable but small amount, relatively speaking, is going to be culled by hunters whenever hunting season comes around. And we're not going to want to kill every animal. Obviously, we have to be mm-hmm. judicious. You have to make sure it's old enough. You're not. It's totally taboo and immoral to even think about harvesting young animals. Like who does that? No one does that. Right. It's illegal. You're f- and, and you don't want to target mothers with babies around them. They have to be away from them. If you're targeting those or female individuals in different species, you're allowed to target. I know for Turkey hunting, you're not allowed to target the, the hens yes. yeah. it, in, yeah. or the hens or the colts. You have to target only the toms. And, uh, same with elk, although elk, you can target the, the does and the, the cows and the, the bucks. It just depends on the season, the region, uh, opportunities that are available depending upon, you know, what time of year it is. So it, we're very mindful. We know the rules and oh, for, I mean, we, very. we get, we get so excited. I mean, you were probably very excited and I was vicariously <laughs> excited for you when I saw that duckling like be rescued yeah. and, and, you know, it was just so cute. It's like, we, we are not just out there like pulling the trigger. Right. Yeah, or it's like casting you know, a line. Yeah. We're, we're admiring the wildlife too. Like that's why I like wildlife photography too. And I I've been mm-hmm. so terrible of like taking photos myself, except recently I was able to catch a little, uh, pup fox or a little fawn, excuse me. I was conflating it with a Fox. It was a almost newborn fawn had the spots visibly there and it was soaked in rain. It was kind of misty and it was sitting next to the fence in my backyard. It was so adorable. I opened the window, took a photo, but I haven't been able to go on trips (laughs) to bring up my (laughs) camera as much as I'd like. So it's like I can indirectly do it in my backyard, but overall, no, we, we love everything about it. We love admiring them. We love eating them when appropriate and of protecting them too. So it's, it's multifarious. Oh, very. Yeah. Like, I mean, I love duck hunting, so I want to put as many ducks into the fall flight for me to hunt as I can. Right. And so yes. I'm there to protect every duck, mother duck and duckling I can. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and you know, like, you know, I, I would have known what a distress, a duckling distress call was, or I wouldn't have be as um, educated with ducks if I didn't duck hunt. You know what I mean? Like you think a duck is just a duck, but there's the whole another world, you know, that you need to learn from them to duck hunt, right. To be successful. And so learning to hunt also brings you into their world, you know, learning their behavior, learning their, um, yeah, their behavior. So. It is a very multi-pronged process and it really gets you attuned to your surroundings more. Like I've been so much more cognizant being a hunter of my different surroundings now, especially in, wooded areas or just going hiking or something. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is such an interesting specimen or, Ooh, this is really cool. Or, Oh my gosh, I saw a buck or, Oh my gosh, I saw a nice doe and her fawns. And I see bald eagles and I see like all this different wildlife and I hear barred owls and all these different birds of prey and, and (laughs) yeah. And and same with fish. Like I love admiring fish as much as I love capturing them. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've become a bit of a catch and release angler, but I still like catching and keeping fish too. But when the circumstances necessitate it, sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to take this out or like, this is maybe a special stream. 
So it's like, you're judicious about it, but like, I'm totally for eating trout and eating fish that you catch. They're delicious. It's a good source of nutrition, but you can admire them too. Like I love admiring the fish I catch too. It's a lot of fun. It is. I agree. Kang, where can everyone connect with you? Maybe someone from Minnesota is listening and they want to get involved with Minnesota Hunter. Drop all your social media links, your websites, <laughs> and where everyone can follow you, please. Yes, sure. So you can find me on Instagram at uh, my name. So Kang Yang One, K-E-N-G-Y-A-N-G, and the number one. Um, I'm also, my website is minnesota-hunter.com. So you can find me on my webpage there. And, you know, um, on TikTok, I'm found as Minnesota Hunter as well. And then on Facebook, I'm also found as Minnesota Hunter. So um, those are my social and then and YouTube, sorry, YouTube is Minnesota Hunter as well. So <laughs> you'll soon be able to get a handle, right? I think once you hit a hundred subscribes, you'll I be think able so, to. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, if you need assistance on that front, let me know. I will send oh, people yeah. your way. I will definitely. All of us in Poma can help you <laughs> help you get that milestone. And then from there you can grow. Actually uh, the gal behind review this thing, she's almost at YouTube monetization. Ooh. And she was telling me about, I was like, what, how did you get like, she got like thousands upon thousands of watch hours. I was like, oh my gosh. Nice. She's really impressive with her reviews. Like she knows what she's doing. So she's yeah. like, like 16 followers away from a thousand. I said, you're going to hit it. Don't worry. Just keep it up. You're going to do fine. So all of us <laughs> can support each other on YouTube and I'll be sure to include all of the listed mentioned social media links. Oh, that'd be great. Websites. Yes. You will see those included. So Kang, it was wonderful talking to you. I hope I get to see you sometime again before we all go to Min- uh, to Minnesota. Oh, we go- before we all go to Montana, excuse yes. me, Kalispell. So I'm hoping, I don't know if we're going to do another Poma like mini event sometime in between, mm-hmm. but you should try to definitely find your way to SHOT Show with the Poma membership. You'll be able to qualify okay. and apply for that. So maybe we can catch up at SHOT Show, but we're going to yeah. be definitely in touch. I want to see your posts more. I love your posts. You do great with the oh, reels so much. and very excited to see where your journey goes. And it's wonderful that more people like you are joining our ranks. I really enjoyed getting to know you. I have no doubt we're going to become very, very good friends and over shared similarities, shared yeah. kind of sam- family experiences and just love of the outdoors. So keep up the great work and continue inspiring everyone to, to pursue the outdoors. Oh, definitely. And, you know, thank you for having me on your show. And I really appreciate this. And so I had a lot of fun. (laughs) Hopefully your listeners um, enjoy it too. So thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes and leave us reviews. We'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds. All of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. Stay tuned for the next episode. Appreciate you listening.